You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. This episode is part of our series on a beautiful noise, the Neil Diamond musical. In this series, we're looking at how certain design elements shape the creative process of a new musical, particularly one based on a true story. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Kevin Adams, and I'm a lighting designer. Nice. Welcome. Welcome. Lighting design for all of our listeners who've been with us since the beginning. Uh, Lighting design is one of the only major design components that we haven't spoken to anyone on page to stage with in the past three plus years. So we're (laughs) thrilled to have you on. I guess let's kick it off by asking, what is it about lighting that gives you the passion to keep, keep at it? It's an interesting craft. You know, I studied to be a set designer. I never had any interest in the lighting. And I went to school for six years. And then I worked in Hollywood as a set designer and art director. But I just fell into lighting. Um, I like that it's still live theater making and live show making. And, you know, with designing scenery, you would do so much work up front. And then you get into the theater and it's a lot of sitting around. I like that lighting is like when I'm in the theater, all I'm doing is working and it's high pressure and I really have to like think up a lot of ideas very quickly. And I like all that. And it's still picture making in the same way that set design was. So I like all that. And it's such a funny, it's such a quickly evolving um, industry now because of um, energy changes and I don't know. It's interesting. Have you noticed a difference as technology has developed over the last couple of decades and what that can do for your process? Yeah. You know, I started out as like the low tech person because I I started uh, lighting my own sets using things I found in hardware stores like light bulbs and fluorescent tubes and stuff like that that I was seeing in the work of artists and that I used in my own home in different ways. I started putting that into shows and the phone, this was in LA and the phone just started ringing with all these really interesting artists saying, come like my work. So for years, because that's the work I was doing and I wasn't assisting and I wasn't doing like car shows or anything. Uh, for years I came out at very low tech and I wasn't using all the other higher tech stuff. Um, it wasn't really until I got to New York and worked for quite a few years and then Spring Awakening that I started using moving lights and more complicated technology. Uh, it's changed so much. It's changed as much as your, as a laptop has changed or the lighting or all the electronics in your home has changed. And it's really been remarkable how much it's changed. And does that change the process? I'm still kind of the low tech person. And I, I hire, I have young, bright-eyed associates around me that understand a lot of those things. I, I call myself more of like a folk artist, like Grandma Moses. <laughs> so I'm just sort of in charge of like 
where the lights point and what color they are and what levels they're at and how much they flash. And the people around me understand how all that stuff works because I, I don't so much. And you said you um, have worked with Michael Mayer with Spring Awakening and you've actually worked with him on quite a number of his shows over the years. And so I'm curious as to how the collaboration has progressed you know i'm sure there's been a shorthand that's been developed since you know since the first you know first time working with him and like what what has that done have you been able to elevate the work you're able to do because of the shorthand so i would love to hear a little bit about that yeah we met like 30 years ago we're around the same age we have a lot of the same cultural interests in art and movies and uh, things like that so we have a lot in common to refer to and it took quite a few shows before we kind of like I used to work with him like every two or three years and I wasn't quite ready to do the things he was doing like 30 modern, 30 modern Millie. And I wasn't quite ready for things like that, but we were doing other kinds of shows. And then since spring awakening, we've kind of been together ever since mostly. Um, It's great. You know, part of a musical, a new musical directors have so many things to worry about, like the writing, of the piece and the songs is so much of it. And then it goes on from there. And like way at the bottom of all that is uh, them worrying about the lighting. And most directors hire me. They know my work. They know I'll have a smart reaction to the staging and the piece and the design, the set design. And mostly they just leave me alone to do my thing. And I leave them alone. Uh, So he'll say to me, I remember on Head Over Heels, the first preview, I was like, oh, I want to do this and that and that. He's like, the lighting is the least of my concerns. It's looking great. It's going to look great. I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to work hard on it, and it's going to be great. So so it's kind of like that. We spend a lot of time together, however, because we're doing so many projects together. Also, I'm a little unusual in that I spend weeks in rehearsal. I love being in rehearsal. I find it really interesting. Uh, and this is for musicals, not so much plays and operas. But I sit behind him or whoever I'm, whoever the director is for like three to four weeks of rehearsal. And so we talk about all kinds of things. You know, I have a lot to say about the set and the staging and how the set works with the staging and the music department and the choreography. And so we talk more about all that stuff than lighting. I don't talk so much to him about lighting, but I will occasionally say like, hey, I thought this scene could be like this, just to sort of keep him interested and give him an indication of kind of where I'm generally headed. And he'll say like, oh, that's great. But most directors, whatever you say, they'll be like, well, that's great, but just show me what you mean when we get to the theater. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it's visual. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they don't really, words are great, but they don't really understand all the words until they actually see the thing. Then they can say like, oh yeah, it's great, so... At what point are you brought onto a new project? And I guess specifically, let's use A Beautiful Noise as an example. At what point did, um, I'm sure Michael came to you and said, I've got this new show I'm working on. And how did that unfold? It's usually about uh, a year before we do our first performance. A lot of these things we do first out of town or off Broadway. Uh, Shows like Funny Girl, Clear Day, For Me, Hair. I did those on Broadway, and I didn't do them anywhere else before. That's kind of a hard thing to do. But 
all the other shows we do and that I do with other people, we have done them somewhere else. Anyway, uh, that's about a year before. And for most of those shows, I'm there from the very first meeting with the director and the designers, sometimes the clothes designer, sometimes the choreographer, sometimes a writer, sometimes a producer. And then a lot of those first meetings are like writer's rooms, frankly. They're not so much about the design yet. They're more about the writing of the piece. And eventually we kind of get around to constructing a piece that's able to go onto a stage, you know, where something might have had like 85 scenes at one point. Now it will have like 42. And it's just an easier thing to design that we can start to wrap our heads around. And perhaps it's a better written piece. I'm not saying Beautiful Noise was that way, but a lot of shows are. Anyway, uh, it's about a year before, and then the set's designed and bid, and then I start with a plot, and then we bid that. And then right around that time, I go into rehearsal for, like I said, like three to four weeks. Your plot that you're coming up with, are you given a sense of the space that you're going to be in first and then a sense of the of the scenic design so that then you can figure out what you're going to need to put in the package? Yeah, the usually what happens is uh, the set is designed, it's put onto paper, uh, it's not bid yet. I will, my associate comes on the clock then and my associates are usually people I've worked with a lot. They have very good eyes and they understand technical things and they keep everything sort of in the lighting department moving along. Anyway, they they go through all the set designs and do specs, uh, electrical specs for the so that the set can be bid. Uh, then the set is bid. Uh, they'll work with me on those things. Like I have ideas about those things, and sometimes they'll say like, "Hey, have you tried this? This is new. This is kind of cool." Uh, anyway, we bid the set. There's some cutting and changing. And once that lands and the, uh, that bid is awarded to a shop, then the associate and I will start on the plot. So I completely understand by that time what the set is and how it changes and how that fits with whatever text there is and songs. And there's a bit of a guessing in all of it. But, you know, you we have so many moving lights and things that have a lot of options that we don't get too boxed in with with uh, what our guesses are going to be. And can you walk us through just assembling your team? So you mentioned at that point you're bringing on your associate, and then how many others, and what kind of positions are they in? Yeah, so that person, that's the first person to come on, and they're all the way through the end. They're kind of in charge of every day once we get in the theater. I will actually say, like, what, I mean, I have things I want to do. But I like to even say you're in charge of me. What do I need to do today? But, I mean, there's clearly things I, I do too. But um, they come on. Once we get to um, load in the theater, the assistant comes on. And they report to that associate. They do paperwork. The plots, the, the show's loading in. They're overseeing that. At some point, they focus the show because I don't do that anymore. And then eventually the assistant is the follow spot person. I will do a pass through of a script with all my ideas for follow spots, which for a Broadway musical is usually three, sometimes two, sometimes it's four. I will give that to the, uh, the assistant and then it becomes a sort of proactive design job to design the follow spots. Uh, I will tell the director like, hi, this is Vicky. She's doing follow spots. 
You can talk directly to her. I can usually hear those conversations. Michael's very used to doing that now. So he'll, instead of going through me, because I'm so busy with my programmer over here, he'll just talk directly to that person. Uh, I also bring on a production electrician, which are people I usually have long relationships with. Uh, the fellow I used to work with for years just retired, but he had started, uh, the first show he did was dancing in, uh, in 1979. He ran the console for it. Those guys have amazing stories from years and years and years of shows. So I bring him on. He mostly deals with the associate. Uh, and then I find a programmer uh, that hopefully I've had a relationship with. So programmer, associate, and this, I'm going to where we all sit in the theater here. Programmer, me, associate, and assistant. And then lurking around as a production electrician. And then everyone else they hire or the electrician, there's a house electrician, they're responsible for, I think they decide who the follow spot operators are. So anyway, those are all people I mostly know. An entry-level position is often the assistant. Sometimes that's a person who doesn't have a lot of experience. Like for Funny Girl, I, this fellow who just came out of NYU worked on it because it, it's not a super busy follow spot show, and I thought he would be great. And But for Beautiful Noise, it's this person, this lady, who's done a ton of uh, follow spot shows because it's a much more busy show. So I'd love to actually just talk a little bit about um, the process of when you were in Boston. So Beautiful Noise just me. But at the point of where when we're recording this, of course, it closed earlier this month in August um, and is now making preparations for Broadway later this fall. So what was the process like for going up to Boston um, and lighting using that space? Had you been in that space before? Were you I, w- I did like full disclosure. I had I saw it in Boston. It's a beautiful, huge theater, but I'm not sure of like what the stage, like how big the stage really was in comparison to Broadway. So I'm curious if you had more space, less space, what that was like for you. The Colonial is very similar in period and layout to most Broadway theaters. It's a little larger than most Broadway theaters because it seats more in the the or the, the space around the orchestra and the house is just a little larger. Um, Otherwise, the stage is pretty much... We did a footprint that's the same footprint of the Broadhurst, so that when we went to the Broadhurst, it wouldn't be any different. So that's pretty much... We're just lifting it out and setting it into the Broadhurst because we knew where we were going. And is that typical for you know most of these out-of-towns that you do? At least when you know what theater you're going into next. It's rare that you do. Like SpongeBob, Cher... We had no idea where or even if that would be you know spongebob was like a year and a half before we got the palace share we might have known but it's not usually very typical usually don't know where you're going to go so you just sort of cross your fingers and hope that uh like well we hope this fits then you have to make some changes and that's usually more in scenery than in um than in lighting we're a little we're a little more flexible and that's a, such a beautiful theater. But that theater is very much like working in a Broadway theater in, in, the, in its layout and positions. I'm in rehearsal a lot. And then I went up to, like the last week, I left New York and went to Boston. And I had a ton of, no, I make a ton of notations and drawings and stuff in my script in another uh, folder. And they had focused the show. 
and I got there and situated, and then I just started writing cues. Um, I try to get everything written before actors hit the stage because it takes forever to write cues that have moving lights. And I do not want people sitting around on stage waiting for lighting because that's a lot of money being spent. When you say writing cues, do you mean like physically handwriting cues out or do you mean like putting them into a computer of some sort? They're being programmed. So I sit next to a programmer and we start with Q1 and I'll say, all right, let's look at this page here. So I think these and these and these are going to point this way and they're going to be purple and they're going to flash and they're going to do this. And we'll, he'll write, we'll just go through every cue and write, you know, start writing. Um, I had about three full days there. We didn't have many dry tech days. I had three full days that I wrote, uh, I think I got act one written. Now, that's written under work lights with load-in still kind of happening. Um, the set that I'm lighting is not there. And somehow you just do it. And I go, I spend a lot of time, like, on my feet. Like, I'll go up on stage and look at the light with an associate and come back and back and forth. And so I try to get the quality of the light looking nice. It's some miracle. It's some weird miracle that I've learned how to do over over doing these shows. It's definitely funny a skill girl, set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For Funny Girl, I had six days, and the deck was covered in brown paper. And my programmer and I, like, if there'd be lumber and a traffic cone, and we'd say, well, the traffic cone's looking pretty good. <laughs> and that little tiny white tag, and, oh, there's someone just crossed, and the light on their forearm looks pretty good. So... It's looking pretty good. And that was like six days of on brown paper again with like the set loading in. So somehow you do it. There's dry tech. And then we start tech and we turn the lights off. And it's amazing how good it looks already. It ain't done because there's a lot of massaging and adding and changing. But I've got a lot done. And then I in the mornings, I have mornings to continue writing cues so I can catch up. So that the where we are on stage will never catch up with me. I can always stay ahead of it. Uh, so it's like that. Sometimes uh, when we get to a number in tech, I'll say to Stephen Hoggett, who I've worked done a lot of shows with, like, I can kind of guess what we're going to do at this point. Like, do you want to mark through this slowly? And he'll say yes. But sometimes I'll say, like, hey, you know, should we just run this? Because I, I can kind of guess, like, it's something they could just run. And he's like, yeah, should we do that? And it's really cool because we run the number with the lights that no one has ever seen or knows nothing about. And we did that once or twice with um, Beautiful Noise. And it just makes everyone so excited because it's such an amazing surprise to them. And those two numbers happen to have really great design, lighting design in them or uh, really exciting lighting design, I should say. So, anyway, do you, remember, um, do you remember which songs that you did that with for Beautiful Noise? So the two numbers I know, Holly, the last number, Holly, Holy, we just ran it with lighting, and I remember Stephen was just so like turned on, and it's so fun to. I think he's so smart and so talented. It's so fun to turn those people on with like fun ideas, and see them excited by it. Uh, I don't recall. I think another one was an. Oh, that might have been Crunchy Granola Sweet. I'm pretty sure it was, which is just an, a remarkable piece of music. I'm wondering, just in terms of your process 
I guess vision wise, I mean, that might be a little bit of a heady word, but how do you kind of think about what ideas you're going to come up with for each scene, for your design, for colors, how it's going to mesh well with the vision of what Michael wants and what all the other designers have planned? Yeah, it's all the the design itself. It's in the staging. It's certainly in the space that's being made by scenery. Um, it's in the text. Most of it lives in the text and in the music. You know, is it a scene for one person or 30 people? Is it a scene at the beginning of the show, near the end of the show, because there are different tensions in, in, in that arc? Uh, and then you get to the song, and there's so much information in the song about, again, how many people are there and what's the attitude of it and what kind of music is it. Is it small or big or up-tempo or ballad or... Um, and I just go from there. I love color. That's what's always made me a little unique. When I got to New York City in 96, is I was not only the light bulb guy, but I was the color guy. And I love color, so I'll just lay and lay and lay in color for uh, for music. But I, I often predetermine those palettes on paper and then write them in the cues. That's all in the text and in the music. From the production photos that we've seen alone, I mean, the color is so evident and so strong and it just like immediately gives you um, some sort of emotion just from looking at those photos. Like, you know the energy, you know exactly like, I'm sure some of Neil Diamond's fans can maybe even guess what number they they are (laughs) singing just from the photos. I was going to ask, so with The Beautiful Noise, you know, you have the story aspect that is, you know, of telling Neil's story um, in two different circles, I would argue. And then you also have like the concert, you know, scenes um, where it's really just like a rock show. And so I'm wondering from a lighting standpoint, um, obviously there were those, um, I don't know the terminology, and so I apologize, but there were lights on the structure of the set that you can see in some of the production photos even that obviously emulate more of a concert feel, but were there other techniques or were there other things that you were trying to um, use um, for those scenes that would be different and maybe you wouldn't use for the normal, you know, some of the just regular scenes between Neil and Doctor. Are you talking about the, the chatty scenes? Oh, just when people are talking, right? Yeah. So yeah. like the scenes of like, you know, at the, in the recording studio at the at that desk, yeah. you know, with Neil and the Doctor yeah. compared to those numbers in Act Two. Yeah, you know, you just have to make, in a musical, you have to make everything dynamic and a little different looking each time and always sort of interesting to the eye and so that as everything moves along, it keeps you engaged. Um, you just figure out a way to light those scenes that makes them look unique to the scene and the where they are in the arc of the piece and all of that. It, it ain't easy. You know, I'm saying it so simply, but it's that's kind of where... When I, I talk to college classes a lot and I tell them how I design, and then I say, but what is this design? And I, that's where I kind of say it's a little bit every man for himself in that part, you know, like... You can either figure all that out or you can't. You know, I'm self-taught with lighting. And my first 10 years were just about learning equipment and how to get a show up, learning to work with people because I'm an only child. And then it's like I got to show up, then lighting. Then it's like, oh, my God, there's a story I have to support. So every 10 years, I can kind of feel myself moving to a new place and in, in the craft of all this. It's definitely a lot to learn. Working with people is a thing to learn. Learning all that equipment is a thing to learn. Storytelling is a thing that you just keep learning and learning how to do. We spoke with Kathy Fabian 
in our last episode and she described the fact that there were uh, in one of the scenes or maybe multiple i haven't seen it yet a ton of lamps that she and her team had to actually get and then your team had to light so can you just describe the process of that collaborative junction point between the two departments those kinds of things come from different places in this show the idea for all that happened to come from david rockwell the set designer uh, he had an idea to put all these, I believe he did, to put all these different kinds of uh, practicals in. Um, yeah, and then we just figure out what's going to go in them, and then it's simple-ish, like when they're going to be on and all of that. I mean, he sort of decides what the configuration of them is going to be and um, where they are and fine-tunes the composition of them. I guess from a technical perspective, when you're using practical lights on the stage, part of the scenery in the set, are they getting light bulbs that are just standard household light bulbs that I can go get at Home Depot? Or are these special? I love that light bulb aisle at Home Depot and Lowe's. There's a lot of bulbs in that aisle. Um, A lot of those uh, are... um, more and more is going, more and more is turning into into LED, but a lot of those in the practicals are incandescent, which are being phased out. But they're just regular light bulbs of different shapes and sizes. There used to be these amazing light bulb stores all over New York City. They're slowly disappearing, uh, and you could find all kinds of cool bulbs. They're all made in China. All kinds of cool bulbs at these stores, but um, now it's kind of big box stores or online. They're just regular bulbs that anyone could find online. Because the actual piece can't handle something of the intensity that a theatrical light would have, right? Right, right. These are regular light bulbs that might be, some of them might be 100 watt instead of 25 watt. You know, I don't know if you've seen Funny Girl, but we have all of these portals with light bulbs in them. And all those light bulbs are LED. They're not incandescent. And they're only because they're squeezed into these tight spaces. So all this heat would build up if they were incandescent. And these LED bulbs make very little heat, and they look fan. They look like incandescent bulbs from the 1930s. It's very impressive. Are you using that more? Using LED lights more? Because I have heard that that obviously they don't heat up, and that it's. I mean, it might be more expensive. I'm not sure about you know now as compared to 10 years ago even. Well, all this other stuff is being phased out, and incandescents are being phased out. A lot of theatrical equipment that we used to use just two years ago is no longer made so that we can use led things like there's a thing called a scroller (laughs) which is a gel string that goes onto a light and and color will go by those this is the first year they've stopped renting those that they stopped making them a few years ago and they were just too hard to repair and they finally threw all the pieces out the shop did all the parts and pieces so now we're in a post scroller age that sounds boring to say but that was a huge thing in theater for 20 years or so. Now we're in a period after that where it's been replaced by LED, different kinds of LED fixtures. Ultimately, we don't have a choice. We have a few choices, but ultimately just things are being phased out and you won't be able to find or use them anymore, which is all exactly what's happening in residential lighting. Like all the stuff we used to use in our home eight years ago, you know, forget 15 or 20, it's disappearing. You can't buy that stuff anymore. And they want us, the government wants us to use LED bulbs and and they're great. They look great now. So I'm, I'm, I'm for it. You know, I I mean, I'm sure in your circles, it's probably of conversation, but I'm just wondering what 
happens to all these long-running shows that have designs where, for example, scrollers are in place. Do they have to go in and revamp? They do. I don't. Uh, I've not had a long-running show like that. Okay, I hope you're happy. <laughs> no, but I do know, like, I do know, like, uh, Lion King. They've made over the years. Every few years. Uh, what does a few mean? Six or seven or eight years? This is a guess, but they all go through and overhaul things to switch to LED or different kinds of things. I know they just did another some more overhauling with more LED going into the show. Phantom, you know, Phantom of the Opera, which was like from 1985. That was another century of theater craft. And that show has, uh, I think, had a few upgrades in, in the kind of equipment that's in there. I remember looking at Miss Saigon near the end of its run, and someone took me up to look at stuff. And there were lamps that had been there covered in dust from another period. that had been there for years and years and years. Like, oh, my God, you're still using this, you know? So those shows are, are completely changed. Most of the shows I do are sort of pop rock spectacle. So I love the rock parts and just like so get into the rock parts of the Neil Diamond show because it's just so much fun to do, pushing light back at the audience in different ways. But Hedwig, I mean, I, you know, Passing Strange and Extra Normal and Hedwig, Spring Awakening, all that stuff had yeah. light that in American different idiot, ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that pushes back at the audience. So I I love that. Well, I was actually going to ask, though, so obviously knowing that Neil Diamond is a, is a real person and he had concerts, was there any kind of inspiration that you were drawing from the lighting, maybe from his concerts, that you were trying to um, take inspiration from or maybe, maybe even try to, like, emulate for some of those scenes in Act 2? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you fine. Know, it's, I was just curious. I wouldn't know, know but I'm just curious. It's hard. It's hard because equipment's so contemporary and bright now. It's hard. Like when I did hair, it's just hard to recreate lighting. You can re- recreate, a, uh, uh, evoke like, a, you know, some style. But to recreate the lighting of those periods, it, our lighting is so different and so much brighter now and so contemporary that it looks so different. When I did the share show, I did look at 10 years of um, on YouTube of variety shows, and that was very interesting, too. That I kind of was able to set through light bulbs and things into that period. But it's really hard to recreate the 70s in lighting and the 80s in lighting. Yeah. I mean, especially since I feel like a lot of the, the stages that, that Neil was performing on, I even just from the, some of the videos that I've seen, are so long. The stages are so wide in comparison to yeah. a Broadway theater stage. So they yeah. have more to play with. I guess maybe the light could come in the different angles than they could at a Broadway stage. Correct. Yes, all true. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the process? Oh, my God. Uh, when I'm doing a commercial production, like, you know, nonprofit is like public and places where people buy subscriptions and sometimes they show up and they bought a, subscri- a pr- subscription and like, oh, what's this show going to be? This is one of the show. This is not the show they really wanted to see. And they bring their husband. The husband doesn't want to bring their. So that's all like a little like uh, commercial shows on Broadway are so cool because you open the doors and all these people have made an effort to buy a ticket to come see this show. And with them, they bring this energy in. They're a kind of makeup. Like, what's this audience? What are their ages going to be like? Who are they? Where are they from? What kind of energy are they bringing in? What are their expectations? What energy are they coming with? I love seeing who comes in the door. And then I love watching them watch the show. I find it so interesting. 
and I'll I'll go back and often check in on a show just to see like who's there and how many people are there and who are they and what ages are they and where are they from and are they excited about this still or what are they responding to and I find that part just so cool so exciting I'm excited to see how the audience responds to I mean they in Boston they were singing along the whole time I mean Boston is like the place to have a Neil Diamond musical so (laughs) I'm excited to see what the New York audience does we'll see we'll see and I'm just (laughs) curious one more final question before we go into the lightning round do you have any specific takeaways from the Boston out of town that you'd like to implement uh, looking forward to Broadway and uh, I oh. guess, what stage are you in now preparing for Broadway? We're layering in some more audience, different kinds of audience blinders around the proscenium. We're adding in more layers of um, uh, confetti, different kinds of confetti, haze. We have several different kinds of haze we're adding. Uh, so effects, we're going to add more effects to the show. And then, you know, we shut down because of COVID after like five previews and the show looked good, but I I had so much more I wanted to detail and work on. So I have a lot of show to work on still. So we're adding a lot of things to it. There's a lot of rewriting going on. There's some new songs are being set in different ways. Um, It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a much stronger show. I thought the show was pretty exciting before, but... um, uh, it's going to be a much better show. Actually, I just had another question, just thinking since you were talking about the the space of the Broadhurst. So when we've spoken with um, folks who work in the sound departments of various shows, they talk about how necessary it is for them to be in the space um, to understand how a sound you know is affected just in the physical space because it's obviously going to be different from from theater to theater, even on the same you know on the same street. What is it like for you? I mean, is it Obviously, um, you know, the Broadhurst has been around for a while, so you may have been in there at one point or another, or another but do, do you make a point to try to get into the space before load in at any point to understand the space? Or is it really just kind of like every space is, you know, the uh, same all, thing? Yeah, I don't really. They're all a little similar. Uh, my associate will go to most of them I've worked in. I haven't happened. I haven't happened to do a show at the Broadhurst, uh, but. They're all kind of similar in the same positions and the relationship of where they are. And uh, I haven't really done that because I've been busy with Funny Girl and 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 uh, Beautiful Noise Out of Town. They're not that different, these theaters, until you go to like theater and the, the one that's in the round. And I'm sure, I mean, it definitely makes more sense that, that your instruments would be more affected by costumes, by the people, by the sets that are on the physical stage, which... Yeah, but also when I get into the space, you know, I'm there like 10 to 14 hours a day for how long I'm in there? Uh, two and a half months. So I got a lot of time to respond to the room and figure things out. And, you know, I'm going to be there a lot at some point. Amazing. I am ready to go into the uh, lightning Mary, round. you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, what is one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? Oh, that confuses me. You know, Funny Girl, from our very first performance, the audiences were insane for her on stage. Like they were just booming with roaring applause. I'm not blind. I could see with my own eyes people who weren't convinced. But uh, to have a show like so thoroughly hated, I've never done a show that's been so hated by press and online and just people I know. And But then the reaction is so different. Every single show, I saw like 30 performances with her and they just like 
the audiences went crazy, and it wasn't those stupid woohoo girls. These were like people who I watched them. These were like women who were sobbing and who were just sitting on the edge of their chairs, like so engaged in what she and the show was doing. So I can't, you know, the biggest mystery to me is that, like the machine that is reaction to a show. And, you know, I've done shows that have gotten great reviews. We can't find an audience. And there are certainly shows running that got not very good reviews that have audiences. And that is still a um, mystery to me. And I've stopped guessing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, What are three adjectives that describe your ideal working environment? Oh, I, I like a lot. I'm very Aspergery. I like a lot of calm and quiet around me, like no pins clicking or change. I really like a lot of quiet around me. Um, what was that? Quiet. Is that an adjective? Yeah. <laughs> quiet. Yeah. Uh, what else? A calm. And, you know, it's not calm, but I, and just like not too intense. Doesn't really add to this. But, you know, Michael sort of keeps things light in a really nice way. And he's always very optimistic. And those are very good traits of his. Amazing. Um, is there something in your process as a lighting designer that you find unique to you? Yeah, no one. I, no one is spending as much, I don't think, as much time in rehearsal as I am. Because most people are doing a lot of shows at once. And I don't think they find the work that interesting. Maybe... Uh, I really like spending that much time in rehearsal, three to four weeks. And often when, if I'm working with a new director, like, what are you doing here every day? It's like, I like being here. This is so interesting to me. And then they start to see like, oh, he's got things to say about all this stuff. Maybe. Uh, I believe that's unique to me. Maybe, you know. Do you have any books, resources, podcasts that you find helpful to you in your process as a lighting designer? Well, I'm always, uh, I go to museums a lot. I look at a lot of wall art. Uh, I go to museums in New York or wherever I am, and I go to galleries. I live near uh, Chelsea Gallery area. Uh, I'm looking at stuff all the time, and I'm looking at, uh, I watch films a lot, movies, and read about them, and um, I look at visual things a lot uh, to have ideas for things I'm not working on yet and maybe to have ideas for the thing I'm working on uh, or just to expand my mind with a palette idea or whatever. Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at those things. Books, eh, not so much anymore. <laughs> that makes sense. For, from a lighting perspective, it's more visual. It's more hands-on. Is there one job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week? Oh, one job. I've had to go, I've had to stay, I've had to choreograph numbers because there's no one around to choreograph a number. Like the director, a director is a play director and the choreographer is like never around. This was a show that came to Broadway. And I, I kept saying nicely every day, like, you know, that they really should move around when they see that boy and that girl sing that song. And day three, they really should move around. And day five was like, you know, I look around the room, there's no one. Else. So I was like, all right, can I go on stage and help them, like, find some choreography for this, please? Because they can't just stand there and sing the song to each other. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you you do a lot of helping each other make a show. <laughs> yeah, wow, right? <laughs> yes, I've we've not heard that before. <laughs> yeah, the things you do to help each other make a show. We got a new choreographer when we came in, Sergio did it, and I told him, like, 
we really need your help. And especially that you're going to see that boy and the girl do that thing. And I actually staged that. So <laughs> please help us. <laughs> so, that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's a hobby that you have outside of theater? Oh, I collect things. Uh, what else do I do? I have a house and I work. I'm the groundskeeper in my yard. Uh, I go to the gym. What do I do? I go see movies a lot. Uh, hobby, I guess probably my yard in the summer. I'm going to start telling uh, people that I'm the groundskeeper to my house. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm like the yard. Well, that if you say garden, everyone's like, do you grow tomatoes? And it's like, no, I grow flowering perennials and trees and shrubs and bushes. And I do that in the summer. I go to the gym. It's, it's kind of boring. I don't know. I go to museums a lot. That's a hobby. I, could, I also buy a lot. of. I, I may, I'm always making things like T-shirts or photos or I'm always got some funny project going. All very creative. I wear outfits too. Like, okay, this is what's unique about me is when I go to work is I, I'm kind of known for wearing outfits, which I like about Broadway. You can really wear whatever you want to work, whatever you want to wear. You just have Describe to have, such outfits. Oh, um, it's a combination. I wear come to go song mixed with like Salvation Army and Adidas and Nike and sports gear and uh, just funny things, funny t-shirts and pants and shoes. People love my Nike shoes and uh, just the whole combination of it all yeah. for a 60 year old man. People are like, wow. Okay. I mean, people on the street talk to me about my outfits all the time. <laughs> kids, I love that. Kids and, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for our last question, um, we would love to know, what is the last great piece of theater that you've seen? Uh, I don't really go very much because it's so expensive. And I probably watch more movies now than I see of uh, live shows. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for, for uh, being our first lighting guest on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you. And uh, can't wait to see Beautiful Noise for myself. I'm getting so jealous of uh, Mary having seen it already. <laughs> awesome. It's fun. There's a lot of great stuff in it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.